0: We've been growing our successful businesses online and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 68. And today we're talking with a product maker but of a little different variety. Jonathan Katz Moses invented and produces his own dovetail jig and he now sells this worldwide. We're gonna talk with Jonathan about taking ideas to products, how he built his processes around his product and how he exclusively uses social media and influencer marketing to drive his sales funnel. Jonathan started his product business a little over three years ago,
1: where he was producing his products himself out of his own personal shop. He now has multiple employees and sells hundreds of products per month and continues his rapid growth. He has started production on a second product, and it also has five more in the works.
0: It was so cool to hear his journey and how he's grown his brand. Absolutely excited for the interview. But before we get into it, we do want to thank uh, some new members to the MFP patron tribe uh, and returning member Joshua Luther. Thanks for coming back to the fold, buddy. Uh, Chris Cunningham, Zach Kinney, and Bill Benoit. And I'm going with Benoit. You know, Benoit would be the uh, the American pronunciation, but, you know, we all know the Canadian crippler Chris Benoit. And so I'm, I'm going with that. Same spelling. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: yes, date yourself. Yeah. we all know. Gotta, yeah,
0: got to throw it back back <laughs> when WWF was actually the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, not World Wildlife Federation. So, anyway, if you want to support the show and get some awesome rewards, uh, you can head over to Patreon.com/slash MadeForProfit. But without further ado, here's our interview with Jonathan Katz Moses. <laughs> All right, folks, we are here with a new style of interview. We are talking with our first product inventor. Uh, welcome to the show, Jonathan Katz-Moses. What's up, my man? Welcome to MFP. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Really excited. I dude. This, uh, this is pretty cool because uh, it, we don't necessarily have a longstanding relationship like we have with most of our, our guests, but we saw you out there and we've seen some really awesome work that you've been doing in the community and you've gotten some excellent referrals. They are like, dude, you got to talk to this guy. So we're like, all right, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's go talk to him. So uh, yeah, we're pumped to have you on the show and kind of talk about products and product development and uh, that side of it, because uh, that's something that uh, we've not really talked about on the show yet.
2: Well, yeah, thank you so much. I've been a big fan of the show and both of your channels for a long time. So uh, it's exciting to finally be on here and be able to share kind of the information that I have on that side of things.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting marketplace. We, you know, Brad and I aren't super familiar with it, but we do get inquiries from a a lot of our listeners that are like, Hey, I've got this idea. Like, how do I get the ball rolling? And we're like, uh, (laughs) we're Uh, like, we're sorry.
0: uh, Start an Instagram. (laughs) uh, (laughs) We don't
1: really know where to go, but you know, seeing what you've done, um, with the, uh, cast Moses dovetail jig, if you guys aren't familiar, uh, we'll have links for that in the, uh, the description and the show notes and all that good stuff for you. But um, seeing what you've done with it and, and you and I actually, uh, started talking, I think about, uh, about six months ago or so you saw, yeah, me, cut, right. saw me cut some, uh, box joints and you were like, you hit me up on Instagram, like, dude, you got to cut some dovetails. What's your address? And just send it to me. I was like, man, this thing is fantastic. And now I'm seeing it all over the, um, all over uh, at least YouTube with a bunch of, uh, a bunch of really, really solid and quality, um, craftsman you know why don't you give us a little bit of a background on like where you came from how you got into woodworking how you got into that just to bring everyone up to speed
2: yeah absolutely i mean i i've always loved to build things when i was a kid i competed in custom car stereo competitions i did what was called decibel drag racing which was bass competitions which uh, i'll tell you my ears regret it now but uh it was a lot of fun (laughs) when i was a kid um and then, uh, you know, I got into, uh, I started a Christmas light installation company, which I still have, I've had for 15 years. Uh, and then I started a construction company, which sort of got me more into building and, and expressing sort of that joy of making things, but it wasn't really enough for me. And then I was able to, after I sold that company, I helped somebody build a planter bench that had two planters on the other side, and I, I was hooked. And that was about 2014 or so. And I just started Watching the wood whisperer and sucking up all the information I could and, and just fell in love with woodworking and I wanted to find a way to make that my living and so uh, when I came up with the idea for the dovetail jig uh, i I jumped fully in and, and started promoting that so um, that's how I got where we are today
0: when you were getting into to woodworking because I think that's what a lot of a lot of our listeners do they they yeah, you know, and, and just woodworking in general, right? We've talked about this a lot. A lot of people will start with, uh, with Anna White and her plans, and start with you know they'll go grab a stack of two by fours and some one by sixes and 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 build some stuff in a pocket hole jig and go to town. Like it sounds like when you started, you kind of gravitated straight to that that fine woodworking aspect of it. Was that? Uh, you know, did you, did you have a pit stop there in, in pocket hole town or, uh, did you go, <laughs> did you go straight for the dovetail saw? I, I
2: went straight for the dovetail saw, you know, um, I saw a video by Matt Kenny from fine woodworking and he cut these beautiful dovetails. As you know, he's like a box maker extraordinaire. And I, oh, yeah. I wanted to make boxes like for some reason, boxes called to me and I tried to cut dovetails. And I tell you, my first try was more horrid than anything you've ever seen. I mean, it was awful. <laughs> And so I kind of started to try and find ways to cheat and, and make it easier on myself. And I created all these little blocks that were at the right angles. And, and then I tried to figure out how to put it together. And that's how I came up with the dovetail jig uh, was I, I found a way to put these all together with magnets. And uh, it was a unique idea that I, I you know no one else was doing. I, I know that there are a couple other dovetail jigs on the market, but nobody was able to incorporate a shoulder side and nobody was able to do it in the way that I did. And so, um, very quickly I realized that this was going to be a viable product and, and that's when I started my YouTube channel, um, and, and got into sort of the guerrilla marketing of my product and getting it out there to other makers.
0: Yeah. I love the idea of the, of the guerrilla marketing. I know we talked a little bit before the show, but like for the, for the Jay, so obviously, you know, you're talking like you're, you've owned several businesses, this is it. So that, that entrepreneurial spirit when you got when you started doing the woodworking and you said, "Hey, I want to figure out how I can do this as the business," where did you? Because what a lot of our listeners do is they say, "Well, I'm going to make stuff." Right. So you know, in 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 your mindset, being an entrepreneur and knowing and knowing about scale and leverage, did you immediately? Did you not even consider that? And then directly go to like, how can I make products? Uh, was the dovetailing was that the first thing you looked at, or like how? you know, what did that, that thought process, like, did you just find the golden nugget right away? Or along the way, were you thinking of, Oh, maybe, maybe I could sell a, a better dovetail saw, or maybe I could sell a better chisel or a better card scraper or a better, what a better card scraper would be really hard. I think it's a, I think it's a so sheet too. of metal, but <laughs> <laughs> you never know a better way to sharpen it maybe,
1: but
2: yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Feritas has a good jig for that. But uh, you know, I, I really saw right away that I had a limited amount of time. As always, I'm sure that's a common theme in this show is that, you know, you only have so much time in a week. And making products was something I did to supplement and help build the business. But um, I realized really quickly that with any business to scale, you need to be able to find ways to essentially make money while you're sleeping. And, And so... That's when I said, I want to create products and I want to take these ideas I have, but I know nothing about manufacturing and I know nothing about how to get from point A to point B. And so I started researching and I started talking to people. And some of the most valuable resources for anybody who has a great idea is like your local machine shops and your local, Mm. there's engineering firms and product development firms and just talking to those people. and, And even if they don't mean to, they're going to educate you really quickly. And so I started getting into the product development side. I started uh, figuring out how I could market it for free uh, and how I could get it in the hands of people that were going to help me promote it. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my thought process right from the beginning was how can I scale? How can I get to a place where uh, this becomes viable for me as an income?
1: Yeah, how much importance did you put on initially in like having the perfect product? Because I know the product's gone through some evolutions and I know a lot of us that are thinking about creating Anything, uh, struggle mentally with the concept of getting your uh, what is it most viable product out there or something that's not a hundred percent? Like, all of us are always trying to put a little one more tweak or one yeah. more little extra and it holds the, us back. The
0: minimum viable product, minimum right? viable, <laughs> getting product. Minimal yeah. viable product, get yeah. something out there and just go with it. How did you, yeah, do that?
2: I, I said, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of us struggle with is perfection and the need for something to to be perfect before anybody sees it. And I, I just said, you know what, this works. And so I made it out of wood. I mean, that's, that's where I was in the manufacturing process is that I didn't want to commit to a $10,000 injection mold or a $500, you know, polyurethane mold uh, that I may not like. So I made them out of wood. I spent most of 2015 and half of 2016 making these in my shop full time. And, that was a great way to get feedback from the community and from my customers. And it's almost like, um, you know, getting a prototype out there for people to try. So when I first came out with it, I sold kits that you could assemble yourself for $15 and I sold the completed jig for $24. And that was so cheap that even though it was made of wood, people were willing to invest in me and my idea and give me feedback. And so really I think, when you have a product, it's important to just get it in the hands of people who are going to be able to give you honest, constructive criticism because if what you think may be a viable product, somebody may shoot a hole in instantly. Um, In fact, when I released the jig, I thought my first video, you'll see the jig is the top of it's mounted upside down from what it is now. And I instructed people that they needed a support board on the end when they were cutting their tails. But, I sent it out to a few YouTubers and instantly one of them said, well, why don't you just flip the top upside down? And two weeks after version one went out, (laughs) version two came out and it was, I, in fact, I, I replaced everyone who bought version ones because it was such a better idea. I said, just send them a new one. Um, and it's that kind of feedback that has developed it to where it is today. I mean, you know, where it is today is a clear product where you can see through it. It's beautiful. It's made out of the same material as pool balls, uh, so it's indestructible. And all of those changes come from feedback from the community and from uh, engineers, You know, people who work in my local manufacturing places. They, the, uh, the idea for it being made out of the same material as pool balls rather than aluminum or uh, some kind of plastic was from an engineer uh, locally here that said, why don't you make it out of this? And he showed me a sample of the material, and I said – oh my God, the fact that you can see through and make sure you're cutting on the right side of your line, like that's genius. And um, so we now have version three, which, you know, I feel like is pretty close to perfect. Um, and and that was all from feedback and the the belief that I just need to get in people's hands rather than it had to be perfect. Because I guarantee you, anything you invent is going to change and it's going to change over time because you're going to adapt to the needs of your customers.
0: Yeah. And especially as being a uh, fairly new woodworker, right? So it's not like you're a a guy that's got 15, 20 years experience and you're like, this is from all my years and all my projects and Mm -hmm. commissions and all the people I've taught. Like, you know, this is from your own personal experience. So that's kind of a unique situation, too. But I I think there's some beauty in that, in that you're, you're much more, I mean, and that's probably a personal trait, too but much more receptive and open to feedback because you don't have these like built up ideas of how it should work. And, you know, you've not cut 10,000 dovetails and been like, no, this is this is how it is and how it has to be. And so uh, I I always find that that people uh, there's two types, right? You can find an invention and a good product from so much use. And you're like, there's got to be a better way and I'm going to invent it Uh, or just by questioning the status quo, which it sounds kind of like is where you are at.
2: Well, I mean, everything that I've developed has always been either I don't know what I don't know and so I'm going to do it my way or it's questioning the status quo. Like I have this stop block coming out that is unbelievable. It does not flex. Um, You know, I won't mention any names, but the top stop block for your T-Track in the market flexes, I mean, a quarter inch if you slam a board up against it. And that to me was maddening. I spent $35 on this product that moves when it's not supposed to move. And so I was, I, I literally invented the stop block on my way home that night. I called my guy at home and said, I need you to make this for me. I'm going to send you a 3d model tomorrow. Um, I need it in two days cause uh, I'm going to release a video about it. And it now has a micro adjust feature, uh, where you can micro adjust up to an inch from your, without moving it. And my point being is that, um, the the need for a new product. It's not like everything's been invented. I feel like I get that attitude a lot. Like everything that is is already here, and it's <laughs> just it's not true. I mean, it's like the this, you look at a company like SawStop, who is always caught in flack for their their protection of their patent, but that guy invented that and tried to sell it to all the big companies for I think eight years, and nobody would do it because they weren't willing to increase the price of their table saw by five hundred bucks, and so he said, I'm going to come out with a better table saw. And if you've used a saw stop, you know, not only is that protection great, but it's it's the best table saw on the market. I mean, it, it, it works like a dream. I know both you guys have it, so you know it. Um, and so questioning the status quo and saying, I can come up with a better idea is not only easier than you think, but it, it's cheaper than you think. I think there's this misconception that to develop a product, you need to have $20,000 for day one and $50,000 the next week. It's just not true. I mean, The dovetail jig, I started with zero dollars and I made it out of wood. And so it's it's product development is something that is attainable by everybody. And it's no longer one of those things that's only in the hands of big companies.
1: Yeah. Do you think uh, so? What do you think perpetuates that the most? I mean, I know the answer to this. I'm going to kind of lead you into it. But like for you to (laughs) for you to make a statement like that, you know, why is the market so much different now than, say, five or
2: 10 years ago? YouTube, Instagram, it's the ability to reach millions of people for free because you create something great. And that's the thing. If you have a good product, a good video, a good picture uh, for your Instagram, you're going to reach lots of people. And so now, you know, I think Time Magazine uh, in 2007, I want to say, they named the the person of the year was you. And there was a little mirror on the front of their their magazine because it's true that the power is now back in the hands of the people. And so guys like me can go up and compete against big, big tool manufacturers because I have the ability to tell millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people on YouTube or Instagram about my product. And I have the ability to get it in the hands of makers like you, John and Brad um, and have you give me feedback. And if you like it, you're going to use it in a video. And, and so the, the playing field is even um, and the patent system in America is great. It's, it's geared to make the playing field. Even, I mean, you can file for a micro entity, uh, patent. You can, you can really cut those costs. So there's, there's a way to really um, develop a product and compete without having to have hundreds of thousands of dollars.
0: Yeah. Talk more, <clears throat> excuse me, talk more about that, Jonathan. Cause I know that is like for me personally, and uh, from talking with a lot of people, that's probably one of the most overwhelming pieces is the patent side and uh, because you always hear like patents, A, are expensive as heck and B, take forever to get approved and through the system. Like, w- like talk more about the different types. A- and I've never even heard of this whole micro anything that you just talked about. Like educate us a little bit on that. OK, so
2: uh, here is a tip for anybody who wants to come up with an idea. Look up the word provisional patent. It's a way to protect your idea uh, without having to file a patent. And so what that does is you file a provisional patent with the U.S. Patent Office. You can do it as cheaply as $50. Um, if you pay a, a service like LegalZoom or, or something, I think it's like 200 bucks, or you can hire an attorney. It's usually about $1,000 to do it that way. And that protects your idea for a year. It's essentially like sealing, sending a sealed envelope to the U.S. Patent Office saying, here's my idea. I'm going to protect it while I explore the process. And that's a great way to bring a product to market and develop it, and, and get constructive feedback like I did with my dovetail jig, um, because you can protect your idea and not fear somebody stealing it. Like One of the things that's tough is people have this misconception that if they have an idea, they have to go get it patent first, and then bring it to market, or it's going to get stolen. But it's really the exact opposite. You can file a provisional patent, which protects your idea, and go to market. And then you have a year to find out if it's viable, if people are going to like it. I mean, you have a year to go, is this a good idea? And then you can file for a patent, but really you are already to market at that point. And do you need to file a patent? It's up to you. You need to decide whether you think your idea is novel enough, but a lot of big inventors, a lot of big companies will tell you just be first and faster to market, uh, and do it better than anybody else. And so you know, there's there's guys like uh, the Hedgehog guy, that uh, the the, the, the featherboard. Yep. Uh, you know, he just he he has a patentable product, but he also came to market and kicked butt and and really got it out there to everybody. Um, and and that's a great way to do it is you protect your idea for a year and then see if it's going to be a product that's well received, and you don't have to invest that forty five hundred dollars in a utility patent, uh, which doesn't cover refiling costs. So. Typically, a utility patent for something simple is about $4,500. Excuse me. Um, and then sometimes you'll have corrections or, or you know, they'll, they'll send it back and say, you know, you need to redo this or it's denied for this reason and then you need to refile. And so that can get expensive. But $4,500, if you've already been selling a product for a year, is not an astronomical cost by any means. That's just overhead.
1: Yeah, right. definitely. With a product that's selling, you can easily see how in that investment for the future is going to be worthwhile. It is intimidating though, to get into what I find interesting is that like the woodworking and maker community as a whole is like at the core inventors, right. and, you know, how many jigs or how many different setup type, you know, personal, functional things do all of us have in our shops? Um, you know, in, in, yeah I think it's amazing to see how many products can evolve out of just a simple idea like that and I love hearing something that like a provisional patent only costs 50 bucks and then you can go and explore it without having Uh, someone else come snag your idea up and bring it to market first, essentially. Uh, That way you can get market feedback. You can get some demos and tests out there. Um, I think the costs of getting into quote unquote inventing is much cheaper now with uh, the uh, affordability of CNCs and 3D printing, especially, right? I mean, I I know you're running CNCs in your shop now um, and there's a lot going into the production of your products that involve that kind of stuff. Um, Why don't you touch a little bit on that kind of speed and efficiency Um, And where you see more value in one aspect than another, you know, like most of us are quote unquote Superman or superwomen who want to do it all ourselves. But I mean, in order to get in this game, you have to be able to
2: outsource, right? Absolutely. And you know, there's, there's different ways to prototype, uh, but prototyping is much cheaper than you think as well. Um, Machine shops will have a hourly, an hourly rate and you can go and develop, give them a 3d model that you did on SketchUp or, Fusion three hundred and sixty, or you can even draw it on a napkin and say, "Here's my exact dimensions. This is what I need." And it'll cost a little bit more because they'll have to put it in a CAD program so that they can machine it. But you can do it. And and my CNC machine, uh, I have an Axiom like you, John, is been invaluable to me because I can develop something in Fusion, send it right over to the machine, and do. I even do wooden prototypes for products I know need to be made out of metal just to see if they'll work. And so, um outsourcing to get something where you can just test it a little bit is, is inexpensive and it's easier than you think. And, you know, so it's important to have those efficiencies in place. Um, you know, I, I only have so much time in a week and so I need people to do those things for me. And uh, one of the things that I, I just released too is I sell a CNC made dovetail alignment board uh, that's on my website. And I, went through a few iterations and came up with something that worked. And so I send it out flat pack to my customers. They assemble it themselves, but I just throw a sheet of plywood in my CNC machine, put on my headphones and keep editing a video or whatever I'm working on. And it can make 10 of them for me. And I can get those products out inexpensively to my customers. So um, I highly suggest that, you know, you, get you can get 3d printers cnc machines in your shop for basic prototyping and then once you have something that you think is going to work you can take it out to somebody who's a professional at making those kind of products
1: now is that a product that you also went ahead and took got the uh provisional and utility type patents on
2: no that's a product that's been around forever Uh, it's a supplement to my dovetail jig it's a way to add Mm -hmm. value to my customers it's very inexpensive i think it's 12 bucks right now and so it's a great way to help people who are learning dovetails mark out very easily. And it's something I always recommend every dovetail video I do. I recommend one. And I realized people weren't making them because they were scared that, you know, they were going to do it incorrectly, or it was going to cause them to mark things in, you know, wrong. So I, I realized with the new CNC machine that I could make foolproof versions and that, you know, you cannot screw this up. It is going to be 90 degrees and it is going to be coplanar because of the way I make it. And so uh, that was a way to add value to my customers, but I wouldn't have I w- I don't think I ever would have done it if I didn't have the confidence in myself as an inventor as a maker uh, to do it, and that's kind of my message here today is is just jump out there and, and do it, and and if you have an idea you think is going to work, do your fifty dollar provisional and and get it out there in people's hands and see if they like it, and if they don't, get rid of it, don't do it anymore. But uh, you you have the ability to make your ideas into viable products uh, with with really only investment of your time and a little bit of money and so go ahead sorry john
1: i was just gonna say i love it i mean i love that so adding value is a is a massive topic on the show uh Mm -hmm. you as you as a listener you know that and that's something brad and i cannot advocate for enough like the fact so uh having (laughs) our first conversation about your jig you told me You know, check out this video, go build an alignment board. It'll be great practice for you. And I literally watched the video. I think you have a five minute and a 30 minute clip, like uh, whatever. And in that, I still haven't built one. And it was for that exact reason you said it was just like, am I going to do it right? Am I doing it wrong? Is it aligned? blah, 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 and all that for you to see the gap in the market for that small little value add there. I think it's so brilliant. And in any type of business model, Brad does it with each and every single piece of content he produces, essentially having a supplemental product plan. And I think it's something that a lot of our listeners can easily implement into their business. If you see a product selling specifically for you a ton of or it's the main staple in your business and there's aspects of it that can be improved on the user's usage of it with that, you know, your Your uh, your alignment jig, for instance, find a way to add value to your product like uh, cutting boards. If you have your own branded oil, that's something great that adds value that you can sell as an upsell to a specific product if you're doing something like that. Um, And I love I love how you've done that with something as simple as a plywood uh, jig that is just a complement to what you're already selling. So for all of our listeners that are perhaps not into the inventions or not trying to get into this, but are trying to get a takeaway, like, boom, that's an immediate one right off the bat. Find a little find a gap or a way to take your existing product or whatever you're selling and then uh, supplement it with something that's affordable, that's easily can easily be executed on and then source someone to do it efficiently
2: for you. Well, not only that, John, you touch on a a really important topic, which is when you talk about cutting boards. Now, when I hear that, what I think is, okay, what do you put on cutting boards? It's mineral oil. And what do people never do to their cutting boards they buy is put mineral oil on, not because they don't want to, because they don't know where to get it or they don't think about it when they're at the store. But if you were to have a quart of mineral oil that said Maleki mineral oil, and it was just mineral oil in a bottle, you could sell that for 20 bucks and say, oh, by the way, when you buy this cutting board. Let me give you the mineral oil too. And that's like six years worth of mineral oil. And so, <laughs> like not only are they going to be happy that you saved them the time, they're going to see the value in it. Plus their cutting board is going to look way longer than anything they buy from anybody else. So six years from now when it still looks beautiful and they want to get a wedding gift for somebody, they're going to buy a Maleki cutting board because they're like, look at how killer this thing still looks. And it's a way to not only add value, but get return business and repeat customers to your business.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's also uh, like you said. Not even just that. That's a it's a consumable, right? right? So same type thing with with furniture, right? So if you sell a polish or a wax, uh, depending upon what kind of finish, obviously you use on your furniture of having a a paste wax or having something that is has, needs to be refreshed. So if you don't have a film finish and it's something that you want your customers to have, and they use that you know, every year or whatever to keep that protection going, then, you know, that's that's an ongoing product. And it it also and it's not necessarily about the money because that's, you know, if you're selling a four thousand dollar table, like selling that fifteen dollar can of wax, you know, that's that's not going to hit you the home run. But what it's going to do is it's going to have that can of wax with your logo on it and your phone number, your email, your website, whatever your Instagram handle where you're top of mind. So when they come to buy the next thing or whatever. They're like, they've been seeing that and they've been using that product. So, and that's another thing that, that John and I really talk about. The same thing about that, you know, kind of that upsell side sell uh, or even gifting. Like if you're selling a table, uh, a great thing, like you could sell coasters or you can gift coasters. Like, hey, just made you this from the scraps of your table. I made you a set of coasters and on the underside of it, it's got your, uh, you know, burned in logo. And so it's like, they're they're always there. And then when people come over, like who, who made that? Boom. They like flip over the coaster. it, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was this guy right, right here. Like but like, may, it's, so maybe you not, might not be top of mind, but your logo is tied is like right there or no, like, you're branding the underside of it or whatever. Just keeping presence of mind. Of course. And not only that, but
2: a customer who buys a table from you, they're not going to know what kind of wax to buy. And if they go to home Depot, their table already doesn't look the way that they want it to look. And if they're looking for something like that, uh, but if you have given that to them and they can do that once a year, they can wax their table or every six months, it's gonna it's gonna stay better longer just like I said about the cutting boards and it, it's gonna cause more people who come over to ask who made that table for you. So you took you took them having to make a decision they know nothing about out of their hands for them and said, let me solve a problem for you that you didn't even know you had and and provide you with this cheap, very cheap thing for me, but it's gonna make you happier longer and it's gonna keep you, being feeling better about me for a really long
0: time. So yeah, I love that, man. So as you started, I want to get into kind of like when you launched the business and when you went from. So you talked about prototyping and you know you're doing it with wood and you're you're making those full time. So it sounds like you have this transition period uh, in between when you had the wood jig, you know, versions one and two, and then before you got into the whatever polymer the the pool balls are made out of. Um, where how was how were the sales and what did that cycle look like for you as far as production because i know that's another thing that a lot of us struggle with and we've we've talked about already in this episode about not having enough time were you uh as you were making the wooden jigs were you getting to a point did you start outsourcing any of that or were you physically making that and then when you made that decision to go to the polymer you know how did that sales cycle look and were you starting to get uh, squeezed and trapped in between, that demand is too high. I can't produce enough, uh, and you know, starting to neglect all the other things. Right, the customer inquiries, the the warranty when you know somebody dropped it, and oh man, one of these magnet popped out. Can you help me? Like, how did how did that look for you as the business grew?
2: Well, um, you know, there was about a period of a year where all I did was make jigs, and it it was tough on me mentally because you know, I loved my YouTube channel and I didn't get to spend as very much time making videos um, like I do now. But I I also, I didn't trust anybody to to make them to the standards that I did. So I created manufacturing processes. And that's one of the most important thing is creating processes that you can teach to other people and that you can have them kind of, you sort of outsource your time to somebody else. And that was the biggest part about the development of version three was, it had gotten to a point where I just mentally didn't want to keep up with the demand because it, it just took all my time. And so I wish I had done it sooner. And, and I wish that I, I had admitted to myself earlier that delegating was the only way to scale a business. And when I did, it, it changed everything. I was able to really dive into my YouTube channel and really produce great quality content. Uh, I was able to develop new products uh, like the CNC Dovetail Alignment Board, the Stop Block I have coming out. Uh, as well as some other things I'm working on that I can't talk about yet, but are, are going to be I think really cool and and uh, industry effective I don't know if they'll be game changing but they'll 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 be something that people value a lot. and so it's really important as a maker as an inventor to find ways to keep yourself doing the things that make you money and manufacturing your own product is not it. I mean that just is nothing but a time suck that really anybody who is trained in that field can do, whether it's a machinist or just a guy who knows how to hit the enter button on a CNC machine, uh, you need to find ways to, I think based on our conversation, the steps are find a product, make it viable, get it out there in the marketplace, and then find a way to scale your manufacturing processes so you can get out as many as people want. And I think those are the steps that to do it. And the great thing about finding the manufacturing processes is that means you have a good problem, which is people like your product. And so it's, it's about, creating a way to continue to be able to get that out there and then come up with ways to find time to do the things that make your business money, add value to your customers and give you the mental enjoyment that you need to be a nice person. I mean, you know, you'd want to be able to-
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The point of working for yourself is to enjoy it. Right. And, right. and uh, I, I really love, um, that you brought up the whole concept of creating processes for other people to, uh, in order to win, you know, that is like, quote unquote, the definition of being an entrepreneur, Um, You know, owning a business is is what it is. You know, I have an LLC. Cool. But until you can create processes in which other people are able to execute on them, that's truly when your business becomes a business. Um, So in that, you know, we've had some interesting perspectives in the past talking about this kind of stuff. One thing that kind of fascinates me is the concept of do you create the process before you hire or do you hire and have that individual create the process for them? Because it's a very, it's a it's a slippery slope if you go down one or the other because time invested in creating a perfect process uh, can be something that can actually hinder the growth of a business compared to hiring the wrong person possibly and having their process not be good. What are, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think processes are just like developing a, a product. It's, you start with an idea, you develop it into a system that you're able to do and then you bring somebody in who is going to help you Give, is going to help give the constructive criticism to develop that process into something that is as efficient as possible. But I have never created a process that was done. I've never created a process that was like, this is the only way to do this. I've had people come in uh, to work for me and just shipping, for example, you know, shipping got to be something that was just too out of control for me and too much to handle. And I brought somebody in, it was like on day one, he took the labels and and took a piece of plywood cut off and clamped it to the table. And suddenly there was a roll of labels that now was on a spool instead of just laying all over the place. And for me, it was like, oh, duh, you know? And so <laughs> every process is – is a it's fluid and it's, it's alive. And a process is never done. It can always be improved. There's always new technology out there. Uh, one of the things that I'm embarrassed that I didn't know about – was ship station. So I used to take my orders and I would go into my Squarespace site and I would copy and paste every address over to stamps.com. And then after I did that for an hour and a half, I would print labels and I would put the the Avery printer labels into my printer and have to feed them one at a time. And I am embarrassed that I did not figure out there was an easier way sooner. And it happened when I did a video with David Paciuto, the next day I got a lot more orders than usual. And I sat there for six hours copying labels over it. And I was like, Jonathan, come on, you're a smart guy. There's got to be a better way. And then I figured out that there's ship station and a, a thermal printer. And now I just, it imports my orders automatically. I go fix any incorrect addresses and I hit print and I'm done. It takes three minutes at the beginning of every day. My guy, when he comes in, I got a stack of labels over there for him and he just handles it. And so my process went from something that took me hours to three minutes of my day. And so processes are ever evolving and they come from need. You know, when you don't have enough time to do something anymore, that's when you, you know, the necessity is the mother of all invention. It's an old saying, but it's very true. And same thing with processes. So it, you develop them for you and then you develop them for the people that help you and support you. So.
1: Yeah. I, f- I think the, uh, the brilliance in that is, uh, that you're, um, your perspective is open enough to realize it. It's very hard for a lot of us. You know, um, a lot of us are at a, at a kind of betweener stage where we want to hire. And I've hired. I've had employees in the past and, and such. And and in that, you you look at a situation where you know uh, 100% in your mind and in your heart that you need help. But you are so unwilling to hand off that uh, priority for your business based on multiple factors. And and one of those being that you don't believe your process for doing it is perfect enough for someone else to implement it, but getting that other individual's perspective or them in there in order to help you can, you could come up with a revelation like a spool of labels (laughs) (laughs) instead of laying them out. But like, those are things that because you're so caught up in all of the things on your checklist, and this happens to all of us as small business owners, is that you forget to think about the inefficiencies and what you're doing because you're so fixated on getting them done. So you look at that situation and you're like, you know, it's in hindsight, it's so easy to say, well, why you should I have that on this. What we were getting? Like, what were you thinking? But it, when, you, when you're in that moment, and there's so many parts of building or having a business that when you're in the moment, you're just want to get it done, especially with something mundane or monotonous like that, that's not fun. And you aren't thinking about, uh, anything else besides the fact of I need to get this done because I have something else to do and this sucks like so you uh you tend to um, not want to make that situation better but when you hire someone to handle those tasks they want to become as good and efficient at those as as they possibly can and in that th- they develop their own process so point being is when you're hiring or looking to hire don't don't get caught up or held up in the fact that you're personal process for that situation isn't perfect because somebody else may have a perspective or may have insight in order to make that more efficient. Sean Van Dyke, when we had him on the show, talked about this and he's like, hire up and you hire somebody that is going to make you better. And I think that's what you're looking for in the hiring process. So if you're looking to bring someone on for shop help, don't look for someone that's a literal clone of yourself that is going to take whatever you're doing, follow you around the um, thoughtlessly and then just reproduce what you're doing. Find someone else who's creative or that's willing to learn that can come up with their own processes, inspire them in order to become more efficient and do things in a better way. And that's where you're going to get the kind of help that helps your business flourish that you don't have to constantly be holding their hand because it's your process. You let it become theirs. Um, and I know a lot of us are in that situation where we're like, oh, we need help, but I can't find the right person. It's like, well, stop focusing on the imperfections of yourself And let that person develop their process. And if they don't work, they don't work, right? You go find somebody else. But at least you learn from that situation. And then you start to hone in on that perfect process or that perfect type of employee relationship that you'd be
2: looking for. Right. And, you know, one of the traps that most entrepreneurs fall into, especially in the beginning, is that you got into being an entrepreneur because you were a driven managerial type person. You like to work for yourself. You like to have control. And it's one of the hardest things to relinquish that control over the processes because you think they won't be perfect. And so, you know, I always like to say that if you're unwilling to hand over the, the processes that slow you down, you really just own a full-time job. Yeah. And you don't, I mean, it's like you, you really, you, like you said earlier, you don't own a business, you own a full-time job. And so you need to be able to <laughs> admit that you, you can't do everything. You also need to admit that you don't know everything. And you know that you can surround yourself with enough people that eventually the group, the collective as a whole, does know everything and does know how to make things better and does know how to make the business run efficiently.
0: Yeah, and there's, there's also, I love that idea of, it, it, you're not, you know, in a shop environment, you you know hire somebody with some expertise, but like for your shipping, right? Like you could hire somebody to come in who <clears throat> their sole purpose is going to be shipping, And you might be paying them like whatever, eight or 10 bucks an hour. Like, you know, this is not somebody you're paying 50 bucks an hour to because they're, you know, putting boxes together and packing them. Uh, But the difference is that that's their sole job, right? Right. And there's a lot of freedom in that too, because like when you're doing that, like when any of us are packaging merch or whatever, like we're not thinking about the most efficient way. We're thinking about how can I get this done quickly so I can go get to that other thing that is in my inbox, that's in the shop waiting on me, that's whatever, that's, you know, my wife, like when you bring somebody in and their sole job is that like, that's what they're there to do. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's a lot of freedom in that too, I think is that it, it opens their mind because, because, you know, like you said, like the guy coming in and being like, yo, we should put a piece of plywood here because like, I'm tired. And you're just like, I don't care, whatever. Like, you know, dude, like we've all been there. Like (laughs) you just pound through it and you muscle through it because, uh, your mind is on other things. Whereas when you bring, when you, when you outsource that, that's their sole job. And there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of beauty in that. Uh, and so that doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, high dollar help either. You can bring in some folks, uh, you know, virtual assistants, things like that, that those are all things that, uh, you know, I, I personally, I know John, we're trying to explore, like, how do we, how do we get into this? And it, it, you don't have to pay somebody an arm and a leg to free up your life because you do it so poorly, right? (laughs) Somebody 10 bucks an hour to do it. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna free up your time that you can bill out at 50 an hour.
2: Right, and not only that, but you know, you are responsible for the successes or failures of your employees. And I think Gary V says it, you know, pretty aggressively. But he says if your employees fail or you fire somebody, that's your fault. And it's when you bring somebody in, you need to empower them to be able to make those decisions. If you're so set in your mind on these processes, it has to be done this way. You're never going to improve them. And having an outside perspective is what makes developing a, a product better, developing a process better. And it's like. Uh, If you're going to develop a product or a process, you need that outside constructive criticism to be able to be the best you can be. And so if you're if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to release something that is imperfect, then you're failing yourself and you're 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 handicapping yourself by by not doing those things.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I think the drop off or the learning curve, too, is another aspect. It's like that person you're bringing in isn't going to immediately be able to just do everything you need. It's you got to have time. And you have to quantify that time in your business model, right? Like you, you right. can't just expect to hire someone tomorrow. All your problems are solved. I'm going to the beach. Like that's not how this works. <laughs> what 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 ends up happening with us? Uh, excuse me. What ends up happening with that is is you find uh, specific instances and in where you can work as a group for improvement. And that you're able to, you know, uh, switch the angles of the way your machines are set up in your shop because, you know, goods are going from here to here to there. And one person works better in that than maybe another, like there's so many little nuances that go into any type of business that having multiple perspective on it are, uh, are really great. And, and I just think that this whole conversation about processes is kind of something that everyone can learn from, even if you're not in specifically for, uh, you know, product manufacturing, uh, as, as you are, or as I used to be with making custom furniture and stuff. So a little good tip and piece of advice there for all of you who may not be wanting to invent, but you're looking for a takeaway from this episode. Um, so
2: it's like the tools in your shop, right? If you have a 12 inch planer and suddenly you start doing uh, big live edge table slabs, and that becomes the core of your business, you need to get a 55 inch belt sander. And yeah. that may be 15 grand to buy a used one. But if it's going to save you 75% of your time or 80% of your time, that's an easy investment because that's something that's going to show return. So, you know, or like a bigger jointer, or um, you know, whatever it is, a bigger bandsaw. Upgrading the tools in your shop, if you're just making furniture and that's your core business, that's going to be the processes that save you more time. And it's not an employee or a, a human being, but it is an investment in process. And it's an investment in saving your valuable time.
0: Love yeah, that. we love we love that. That's something that, that John and I uh, have been discussing recently. And and it like whenever you buy something, it should give you extra capacity or extra speed. Right. Yep. And and it shouldn't just be because it's sexy. And it's like <laughs> the new tool that does exactly the same thing that your old tool does. That's rusty. Like, right. no, like you need to either be able to do more or do it faster uh, or, you know, and, and likely both. But but I, I love that. Let's let's jump kind of back into uh when you got started, cause I think there's a whole, this whole thing about marketing, right? So we kind of hit all the process pieces, but on the marketing side and, and you, you, you kind of mentioned it, you know, guerrilla marketing earlier in there uh, you know, tell us about the marketing strategy and you know, obviously you're strong on the internet, so you're not out there placing print ads or or sending flyers to people's houses. Like, you know, tell us how it started. If, was it all influencers? Did you do any Facebook ads? Like, tell us about uh, that marketing process.
2: Of course. Well, early on, obviously I had no money to invest in advertising. And so I started a YouTube channel and and that gained some popularity. I mean, as anybody who has a small channel knows, it's a grind. And and so really quickly, I said, okay, well, the YouTube channel is only reaching so many people. So I want to reach out to influencers. And I never was pushy. I never was, hey, you, can you please promote this? I just said, hey, I want you to try this and tell me what you think. And if you ever want to use it in a video, just let me know. And, uh, so I would put it in the hands of them and I would get great feedback and people really responded very well to that non pushy promote my product because, you know, as you guys know, we get emails all the time, like, Hey, can you give me a shout out? Hey, can you follow me? Hey, can you do this? And, and for us, we have very valuable time and we have very little of it. And so, you know, anybody I reached out to, I knew that they didn't care about me or what was going on with me. But if I said, Hey, just try this. I think you'll like it. Uh, that really, I, you know, you develop a relationship with these people and I didn't need anything out of that, that relationship, but I did end up getting something out of that relationship because they would like it. And they would say, this is great. I was so scared to cut dovetails before. And I did it on my first try. And, and suddenly that was, that was game changing for me. And then I, I figured out, okay, well, I want to be able to compensate these people for what they do for me because even though we're friends and even though I gave them something, that's not fair. You know, I gave them a a $35 product and they're giving me something that ends up being more than that. And so I want to be able to compensate them. So I looked into affiliate marketing, uh, which is so surprisingly easy to do and was such a change in my business because suddenly I went from hey, I like Jonathan. So maybe I'll mention this in a video or maybe I'll use it to, hey, I like Jonathan. I like his product and he's paying me so I can make money from this. And so people, and they would always, it's not like they didn't believe in my product, they loved it. And so it was easy for them. And I I would, I put uh, affiliate marketing into the back end of my site uh, so that every time somebody came from a link and bought it, uh, they would be registered on my click ticker. uh, And, and, I would be able to pay them and I would pay way more than Amazon. You know, for me, uh, I would pay numbers that, that were very fair of the fact that not only was I the manufacturer, but I was the retailer. And also the fact that, you know, I really cared about what they were doing for me. And so that was the way that I was able to sort of guerrilla market. And then it turned into things like, uh, I do have an Instagram ad, um, which has a direct call to action. It takes them directly to the sale page. Uh, and that's not my most, uh, successful thing, but it, it works for me, and it, it definitely has a substantial positive return on its investment. The other thing I did is I, I paid for the extra uh, abandoned cart f- uh, function on Squarespace. So if someone came and looked, and maybe they didn't, you know, check out or they got distracted or whatever, I'd send them an email a day later saying, "Hey, uh, looks like you left this in the cart. We'd love to have you come back. Um, you know, I'm a small shop owner just like you, and I think you'll really like this product. We've had lots of great feedback." And that started to work. And so it's about building all of those processes that are, you know, it's just like investing. You never have one stream of income. You need to be able to guerrilla market to a lot of different ways. I sponsor every contest I can. Anybody who asks me to sponsor a contest, I always say yes. Um, any, any charity that asks me, like, uh, I, I think this year alone, I've donated 200 jigs to veterans charities. And um, you know, I have no problem because I know that I am supported by the people who watch my YouTube channel, buy my products. And so I will give back every chance I get because I am under no misconception that without the support of the the maker community, uh, the people who, who make videos and Instagram posts, that I would be not who I am today. And so, uh, you know, when you insert yourself into a community and become a functioning member of it that really cares about that community you will get a response that is positive. And it's like anybody you see on Instagram who comments on your posts every time and says, oh, Brad, I love your stuff. I love your stuff. You're going to remember them. You're going to respond to them positively when they make those comments. And it's the same way for a guerrilla marketer is is by inserting myself into the community in a positive way and treating people nicely uh, and with respect, you get a positive response. And so uh, that's the way I went through that.
1: Yeah, I think that's awesome to see how you immediately dove into like the influencer space, because the influencer space is interesting. I think um, a lot of people are hesitant to use it to their advantage on like a personal level. I mean, like you're not (laughs) you're not Ford or Chevy out there, you know, dumping a ton of cash into an influencer. But what you're doing is you're getting cheap and quote unquote free market research from people that are actually going to use your product Two, you're providing value to those individuals by paying them with the uh, affiliate program. And then on th- three, on top of that, you're providing value to their audience because you're supplementing them with a product that they are able to show off and make them a better worker as well as their audience. So uh, the the influencer marketplace, we kind of, we, we dabbled into this a little bit a couple episodes ago, I think, and especially in the after show a lot lately, um, is somewhere that's very interesting to be right now. I mean, uh, seeing a... Any small, uh, smaller, I should say, brand or business like yours uh, that's up and coming, get uh, get into it. It's it's such a cheap barrier to entry, right? I mean, right. you don't need tons of capital to uh, start a marketing campaign. You don't need a ton of investment, or you don't need to so. <laughs> excuse me. You don't need to have all of these integrated processes and stuff in order to make sure that you're able to handle. You essentially just create a product. Uh, create an affiliate link and get it to the people that you think are going to be most valuable to you. Um, so you know, for anyone out there that's looking to do any type of uh, you know, product sales in your niche, it could be anything. It, it doesn't have to specifically be woodworking. You know, think about the people around you that influence you the most, and if you can add value to them, you know, would they be willing to work with you? What I also dig is that you don't admit you don't immediately go to like the top. You know, you you you. Uh, we were talking about this before the show. You know, why don't you touch a little bit on like how you approach an influencer or like what type of influencer you're looking for specifically. Cause that is a, uh, that's, that's interesting as well. You know, we, we see a lot of um a lot of brands that are dabbling in quote unquote, this micro influencer space um because they can get very wide, uh very cheaply uh, on their behalf. But uh, you also see a lot of brands that only stick to like the top, you know, like where, where's your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think that, you know, in advertising, uh, you want to be able to market to the audience that you have efficiently. And in traditional, you know, advertising, that would be five to 12 impressions. But, you know, when you, word of mouth is the best form of advertising. And that's essentially what we're doing when we create our YouTube videos is we're saying, look, I am a guy that you trust and respect. And I really do like this product. And so what I like to do is, you know, reach out to influencers who don't have the big brands knocking down their doors to pay them, you know, to promote their products. I like to reach out to people who are truly passionate about uh, what they're doing to the point that, you know, as a micro influencer, they're not, most people aren't full time, you know, that's their second job. It's their in the garage. And so they, they really are receptive when you say I, I want to give you something and I don't need anything in, re- in return. I just want you to have it and try it and give me your feedback and so if you can reach those people, you have a lot better chance of developing a relationship. It's very hard to reach out to the um, Jimmy derestas of the world because everybody's trying to reach out to him. And so, you know, as a small inventor, I can reach out to a small creator and we have something in common, which is we're both trying to make our name in this world. And so that creates an instant bond where you're able to become friends and and develop a relationship. And then, you know, down the road, if it's something they want to if it's a product they like, and I always stipulate that I'm like, please do not promote my product. If you're not confident in, in what you're, you're saying, or you don't believe in it, because I don't want that. I want people who really do believe in my product and really love it. And one of the greatest things for me, the the thing I take the most pride in is when people who are just hobbyist woodworkers in the garage, send me an email says, man, I could not cut dovetails, but I got your jig and look what I did on my first try and it's just a beautiful set of dovetails. And, and to me, that's what I did all this for was that, that changing of somebody's, you know, they had a good day in the shop and they didn't have to spend six months of practice to learn it. And, and I feel like that's sort of the same thing with, with marketing is, is when I get to, you know, send a a check to a small creator that is more than they've ever had from an advertiser before, um, because they just promoted something they love to me, that's just a great feeling. And, 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 Makes me feel like I'm part of this community.
1: That's amazing. Uh, like I love hearing how passionate you actually are about the the community itself, because it's a uh, it's something that becomes a little bit detached as being an influencer. You know, you don't really get to talk to the <laughs> the product inventor and the business right. owner as often, right. um, which is really cool. I want to go back briefly and touch on something you you just said in the concept of I don't ask or need anything in return. This concept is something that like baffles people, right? Um, right. We answer a lot of questions with product producers specifically, and I'll <laughs> I specifically advise, you know, like go work for free, like go find a an influencer or someone in your community that you can put your products in front of that has a large outreach that can support what you're doing, if, whether it's a local coffee shop and you help them with like a free display or you're giving out um, you know, free, uh, what are they flight holders to your local brewery with your logo on them? And then a hundred business cards in case someone inquires, like those things that you're, you're reaching out and you're looking for nothing in return. Uh, and you're just putting a quality product out there. It's a very hard concept to grasp. Gary V is a huge advocate for it. I mean, he talks about like D rock, for instance, I think he put a video out last week. He was like. He's set up for life. He offered to work for me for free. Now he's Gary Vaynerchuk's video and media guy. If Spielberg wants to hire him, you know, he can, he has that opportunity. So when you look at stuff like that, you know, find opportunities in which you can go and approach situations and look for nothing in return. And you will, you will see what you want to see out of that situation. If the product's there, if the passion's there correctly, and if you are, if your intent is actually not looking for anything in return. You know, there's so many instances where you can do that, um, whether it's placing products or getting your stuff out there to, to certain individuals who you, whose feedback would be instrumental to the development of a better product. You know, that that concept, I think, seeing it implemented in what you're doing um, is brilliant. I love that. We've talked about it before in our coaching. We talk about it before. Um, and then, you know, you just implementing it. I, I just wanted to touch on that real quick and uh, and hit on it.
2: You know, um, for me, making money is a fringe benefit to passion and drive. And it is it is so important that you never... If you go into starting a YouTube channel to make money, if you go into, I'm going to build a big Instagram account to make money, it, it will be so obvious to anybody who watches you. And you will never do it. But if you go into something say like for me, woodworking, I did this because I love it. And the Dovetail Jig was a way for me to be able to do it and be... be successful at it. And so I put hundreds and thousands of hours into development, outreach, making videos for free. I, I did that all for free for, for years, this was not profitable for me. And it, and it was, I, I worked other jobs um, and uh, you know, I have my other company and, and I would just would work at night on the weekends. And so, you know, if, if you go into something with impure intentions, it's obvious and I guarantee you, if you go into it with passion and a drive that can be beat by nobody else, you will make money and, and, but not the other way around.
0: Yeah. I had somebody, I was just talking to a, a buddy who's trying to start a channel, nothing to do with, with woodworking. And he was like, I've got all these ideas, but I can't, I, I, I don't know what to do the best. And I, to what you said, I said, Hey, make a list of all the things that people ask you about like Mm -hmm. every every week, every month, like what's, what are those things that you're an expert on that you have expertise and passion around? Like, what are people always asking about? Or what are you always offering advice on? Like, and that is where your niche is because exactly, exactly what you just said. If, if you're like, oh, there's good margins over here. Well, good margins don't drive you good. Good margins aren't going to, aren't going to keep you happy when it's, you know, 10 p.m. at night and you know you've got another three hours ahead of you you know before you can even think about going to bed because you're going to hit a deadline or or whatever uh even though not much is going to help you there but you know at least you can have some solace the next day but but i love that idea of uh of driving to where your passion and your expertise is not to where the money is you got to let one drive the other versus following and and trying to chase chase the dollars but you know, this has been an awesome conversation one thing we'd love to wrap up with with each of our interviewees is some piece of advice for the audience. So, you know, what's a piece of advice that you would have loved to have early on when you started this whole thing or that you'd give creators uh, or product makers or anybody now who's trying to start on this, this business venture and and get out there and make some money doing what they love. Um, it would be fear
2: nothing. Uh, you need to get out there and start doing what you want to do. If you make excuses for yourself, if you say, but I, I want to create this, but I need to do this first or I I can't do this until I do this, you are lying to yourself. There is nothing that stands in your way if you just get out and do it. And so if it's something you want, you will make it happen, but you need to start today. Um, The biggest thing that I get questions about is how do I start a YouTube channel? How do I start uh, a product line? And the answer is start. You just need to get going. And everything you do up until that point is wasted time. And so, you know, set your mind to something and start doing it. And do whatever it takes. Anything you don't know, make a list uh, and and learn it. Good. Get on Skillshare. Get on YouTube. Uh, get on Lynda.com and and learn it. Uh, or ask the people around you. You know, like you were talking about uh, reaching out to to makers in your industry. Whether it's uh, you know a coffee shop who would be your potential customer, let them help design something for free and give it to them and get their feedback. Or whether it's a product, giving it to YouTubers and getting their feedback. It's there is nothing stopping you. And and this wonderful thing about our country is that nothing is stopping you, so get out there and do it, and don't waste any time planning on how you're going to do it, or thinking about how you're going to do it. Just get it done and start.
0: Yeah, that's love awesome. it, love it. I, I mean, that's that's one hundred percent, one hundred percent. You got to take that first step, and and that's always with YouTube. It's like, hey, look, if if you've got a cell phone, start making YouTube videos. Like yep. that's it, you know. And and there's people who did that for a long time, did the entire channel. Straight from their phone. I did, you know. So there you go. Yeah. So you know, you can you can do it these days, man. That is that is awesome, Jonathan. It's been great getting to hear a little bit more about you and the business that you've grown, and it's it's really cool to hear about the processes and the setup and how you've been able to scale to to really you know get something efficient and do the outsourcing, which is a theme that we just keep hitting and keep hitting here. uh, Is is you know using the leverage of your time and knowledge and other people's help and support to to get to your goals.
2: Yeah, no, thank you so much, guys. Um, You know, I I really appreciate it. I really enjoy your show. and, And I think what you guys are doing is really, it's great for the community. And so thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely, man. Thank you. It's been a blast.
0: All right. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Man, I love talking with people who just have a passionate ability to start something from scratch and drive it through to completion. And that is definitely Jonathan's style. It's even cooler that he had just no idea really what he was doing when he started, but uh, he was able just to pound through it.
1: Yeah, he definitely saw an opportunity to learn himself how to make some dovetails and created an awesome jig around it, which is which is really cool. I actually have uh, been using it myself to get a little bit better. And if uh, you're interested in snagging yourself up a jig or checking out Jonathan's YouTube channel, make sure you're heading over to madeforprofit.com
0: forward slash episode 68. Absolutely. We'll have a, an affiliate link there to... To his dovetail jig, as well as uh, some of the other items he's got on his site. Uh, but also make sure you're following us over on Instagram at May for Profit. We're really getting engaged over there more and we would love to see what you're doing. So uh, we've not been doing it for a while, but like I said, we're getting back in the in the saddle and we would love to see your hashtag MFP beauty shot and your hashtag MFP behind the scenes. We're going to start sharing a lot more of uh what you guys out there in the tribe are doing but right now john why don't we go crush this after show man yeah let's punch it in the face